We're going to read the story today straight from the Bible. What happened from late Thursday night until Friday before sundown, less than 24 hours. So if you are new or you're not familiar with the story or you haven't read it in a long time, you need to know you're jumping into the middle of it today. And that's okay. That's okay. Let me give you a little bit of, of background, a little bit of context. It might be helpful for you to know that Jesus has been publicly teaching. Um, he's been publicly healing people. He's been doing miracles. He's been training particularly 12 disciples. Disciples are just committed followers of Jesus. He's been training them, teaching, healing, doing these miracles for about three years. Before that, we don't really know a lot about his life. We know he was a regular guy. He was a carpenter with a pretty dramatic birth story. But it's not like he was a celebrity after that. He was just, just a guy. So for the last three years then, he's been teaching. And his teaching has tended to really upset the status quo. His teaching tends to make room for those who are on the margins. His miracles have been quite investigated and have been indisputable. He even raised, uh, raised a guy from the dead in front of a crowd of witnesses. And so in the time that is immediately prior to the story we're going to read today, Jesus' demeanor has probably changed a little bit. There's, a, there's an increased sense of, of urgency in, in how he behaves and how he talks. Maybe a little bit of sadness if you've been paying attention. Because he knows what's coming. But nobody else, nobody else gets it. Nobody else understands what's about to happen. And so if you've read some of the story just prior to what we're going to read today, you'll see he's trying to prepare his disciples. He's trying to give them words, and he knows that even as he's giving them words, they don't understand it. But he's hoping that those words will come back to them when they most need it, when, when, they're, when they're just feeling a little bit lost. Hopefully those words will come back to mind and help them in those moments. So, so we're going to read the story. It takes place in Jerusalem. It takes place in Jerusalem, which is under the control of the Roman Empire. And you're going to notice several threads and several characters throughout this story. So let me tell you just who each of them is, and then you'll recognize it as we get there. So we're going to have Pilate. Pilate is the Roman governor. It's his job to keep the peace. It's his job to ensure that the population stays absolutely loyal to Caesar, who is considered to be a son of the gods. Pilate is going to be trapped by public opinion. He's going to be trapped by what optics could do, his career, could do to his career. Then you're going to see Peter, sometimes called Simon Peter. And you're going to see him hanging out nearby at different points in the story. But he's also kind of hiding. He's afraid. He's pretending not to know Jesus. He's going to feel a whole lot of guilt about that later. Okay? You're going to see religious leaders. And they are going to be expertly working and manipulating a crowd and manipulating a political system. 
they are highly motivated to get rid of Jesus because he is upsetting their world and he is claiming to be God. And they can't have that. You're going to see women. And they are going to remain at the darkest moment when most of the others have fled, have run away. They are going to still be there. They are going to be there at the cross despite the trauma and the powerlessness of that moment. You're going to see John. Now, he's not going to be named. He's the one that actually is writing the story. We're reading from John's gospel. So whenever you hear a narrator's voice, that's John. And of course, John is writing the story after the fact. And so he's going to note repeatedly throughout the story, he's going to note the places where the story actually referenced or fulfilled ancient prophecies. He's going to note that throughout the story. In the time and place where John is, where he's existing, this adds validation to his story. And his goal in writing this whole thing, his entire goal, is that people will will know and will believe what he knows is true, that Jesus actually is the Messiah. So he's going to reference these prophecies and point them out and document it and explain it really carefully for that reason. And then you're going to see crowds of people who are easily manipulated, as, as crowds are. They're polarized. A few days ago, that crowd was a parade. They were honoring Jesus. Today, it's a mob calling for his death. So that's where we're jumping in, okay? We're going to read the whole thing. It's going to take about 10 or 11 minutes just to read it through. And we're going to take communion afterwards. So make sure right now that you have the bread and you have the juice ready. And then you can participate with this. And I'm going to just tell you a heads up right now. The story is not going to be resolved today. And so if when we get to the end, you feel a little bit lost, that's okay. It's it's part of the process of this weekend. Come back Sunday. Okay, here we go. John chapter 18, starting at verse 1. After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and entered a grove of olive trees. Judas, the betrayer, knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. And now, with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the Olive Grove. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him. So he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for? he asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he. Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. And once more, he asked them, who are you looking for? And again, they replied, Jesus, the Nazarene. I told you that I'm he, Jesus said. And since I'm the one you want, let these others go. He did this to fulfill his own statement, I did not lose a single one of those you've given me. 
Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back in its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? So the soldiers, their commanding officer, and the temple guards arrested Jesus and tied him up. First they took him to Annas, since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest at that time. Caiaphas was the one who had told the other Jewish leaders, it's better that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another of the disciples. That other disciple, who's John, was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in too. The woman asked Peter, you're not one of that man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I'm not. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. Inside the high priest began asking Jesus about his followers and what he had been teaching them. Jesus replied, everyone knows what I teach. I've preached regularly in the synagogues and the temple where the people gather. I haven't spoken in secret. Why are you asking me this question? Ask those who heard me. They know what I said. Then one of the temple guards standing nearby slapped Jesus across the face. Is that the way to answer the high priest, he demanded. Jesus replied, if I said anything wrong, you must prove it. But if I'm speaking the truth, why are you beating me? Then Annas bound Jesus and sent him to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire warming himself, they asked him again, you're not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, no, I'm not. But one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it, and immediately a rooster crowed. Jesus' trial before Caiaphas ended in the early hours of the morning. Then he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor. His accusers didn't go inside because it would defile them and they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate the Passover. So Pilate, the governor, went out to them and asked, what is your charge against this man? We wouldn't have handed him over to you if he weren't a criminal, they retorted. Then take him away and judge him by your own law, Pilate told them. Only the Romans are permitted to execute someone, the Jewish leaders replied. This fulfilled Jesus' prediction about the way that he would die. Then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews, he asked him. Jesus replied, is this your own question? Or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted, your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, 
My followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders, but my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, so you are a king. Jesus responded, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is truth? Pilate asked. Then he went out again to the people and told them, he's not guilty of any crime. But you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release this king of the Jews? But they shouted back, no, not this man. We want Barabbas. Barabbas was a revolutionary. Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put a purple robe on him. Hail, King of the Jews, they mocked as they slapped him across the face. Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I'm going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said, look, here's the man. When they saw him, the leading priests and temple guards began shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Take him yourselves and crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. The Jewish leaders replied, by our law, he ought to die because he called himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever, and he took Jesus back into the headquarters again and asked him, where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Why don't you talk to me, Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? Then Jesus said, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Then Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leaders shouted, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. When they said this, Pilate brought Jesus out to them again. Then Pilate sat down on the judgment seat on the platform that is called the stone pavement in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was now about noon on the day of preparation for the Passover. And Pilate said to the people, look, here's your king. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him. Crucify him. What? Crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the leading priest shouted back. And then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus away. Carrying the cross by himself, he went to the place called Place of the Skull, in Hebrew, Golgotha. And there they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side, with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. 
The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek so that many people could read it. Then the leading priests objected and said to Pilate, change it from the king of the Jews to he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate replied, no, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice for it. This fulfilled the scripture that says, they divided my garments among themselves and threw dice for my clothing. So that's what they did. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, dear woman, here's your son. And he said to the disciple, here's your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It was the day of preparation, and the Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies hanging there the next day, which was the Sabbath, and a very special Sabbath because it was Passover week. So they asked Pilate to hasten their deaths by ordering that their legs be broken. Then their bodies could be taken down. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead, so they didn't break his legs. One of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water flowed out. This report is from an eyewitness giving an accurate account. He speaks the truth so that you also may continue to believe. These things happened in fulfillment of the scriptures that say not one of his bones will be broken and they will look on the one they pierced. Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before. And so, because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. And that's where the story stops today. Now, 
we wait. And for us, we consider why on earth it still matters. Why are we still talking about this 2,000 years later? Well, because it was understood by Jesus' own followers very quickly. It was understood that this was a fulfillment of centuries of God's promises to ancient Israel. That God would be for all people, not just one ethnicity. That when the temple and the sacrificial system proved ineffective in dealing with, with humanity's sin problem, that God would offer another way, a deeply personal way, where hearts would be changed by personally knowing God. Because we do have a sin problem. If anything demonstrates that, this story does. But it's the same today. Doesn't some of it sound familiar? Political leaders backed into a corner by public opinion and optics. Crowds manipulated, whipped into a mob mentality. Religious leaders working the system, pulling the strings, manipulating. And a whole lot of us watching. But we don't know what to do. Some of us are afraid to engage Others are are grieving or hurting or feeling powerless. Some of us lash out like Peter did, but it it doesn't help anyway. We need help. We're not okay overall. We needed a Savior, and we still do. So 2,000 years ago, those first followers of Jesus looked at the whole big story. And they knew that they themselves were forever changed by encountering Jesus, truly the Son of God, truly the promised Messiah. And so they started to tell the story. And they started telling the story to anyone who would listen because it was for everyone that cared to hear And they told the story, and others told the story, and more people told the story. And over 2,000, we're still here. And this weekend, this story is the foundation and the anchor for our faith. So, we do what Jesus told his disciples to do on that Thursday evening, right before this happened. We hold the bread. And we hear Jesus explain that this simple, regular bit of bread, this cracker, nothing special, just everyday stuff, it represents his body broken and killed on that cross. Eat it. To remember me, he said. And so we do. Let's take it together. And then we we hold the juice or the wine. 
And we hear Jesus explain that this simple beverage, nothing special, just everyday stuff, it represents his blood replacing the old sacrificial system once and for all and providing a way out from our sin problem. Drink it to remember me, he said. And so we do. For, the scripture says, Whenever we eat this bread, whenever we drink this cup, we proclaim, we announce, we tell this story that is central to our faith. We tell the story of the Lord's death until he comes again. subdued, maybe feeling a bit unresolved, and that's okay. It's good for us to feel the pain of our faith, not just the joy. So we wait, and we wait for Sunday when a few brave souls will venture to that graveside and discover that the story is not quite over yet. So our God, as we wait, as we go into the rest of this day and we go into Saturday, we wait as those disciples did. And we simply ask that your presence would be with us as we wait that we would not only feel 
the pain and the darkness of Good Friday, but we would start to sense a glimpse of the light that is coming and the hope that is coming. God, may you bring us all to that gravesite on Sunday morning. And we will do that and give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen.